Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A glorious and magnificent Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have given and revealed yourself not only through creation, but also uh, through your special revelation of the Word. Lord, that we would seek to be able to guard ourselves, not according to the world and the promise of the world, but only according to your word, that we, with our whole heart, would be able to seek you, that we would not wander from your commandments. Lord, help us to be able to store up your word within our hearts, that it would dwell in us richly, that we might not be able to sin against you. And when we do, we turn to the Lord and our Master, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, who is our Advocate. Lord, for you are blessed. Lord, teach us from your word. Through the work of your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 1, the second half of verse 18 to 26. Hear now God's holy and errant life-giving word. Yes, I and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but, with, but that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, for your progress and joy in the faith, and that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Shakespeare, in one of his most famous scenes that he had probably ever written in his play or tragedy, Hamlet, The to be or not to be speech given by Prince Hamlet as he considers life and death. He says to be or not to be. That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Or to take arms against the sea of troubles. And by opposing, end them. To die. To sleep. No more. And by asleep to say we end the heartache of a thousand natural shocks that his flesh is heir to. Tis the consummation, devourly to be wished, to die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream. Ah, there is the rub. And Prince Hamlet says his basis of thought throughout this is the unknown certainties of either suffering on one side, nor the unaffects or unknown certainty of what there is in what he calls sleep or die. To die, he says, is to travel to that 
country undiscovered in which a traveler has not ever returned. However, Paul, when he asks this question, when he is looking at life with the same two options before him, to live or to die, he comes to a different conclusion. It's not based on the uncertainty of what comes, but on the certainty. And as we remember the last passage that we looked at, Paul rejoices even though he has faced he has faced troubles and tribulations as he sought to be able to preach the gospel, and yet he is bound in chains. The word of God is not bound. That even through the advancement of the gospel, of the preaching that surrounds him, even with those with false motives, or even in the midst of persecution, that we thought it strange that Paul is rejoicing over these interesting negatives that he labels. But yet tonight we take an even more far-reached step. A more interesting thing that Paul rejoices over. Paul rejoices over the two choices, the two paths that are before him, whether he is to live or whether he is to die. Paul opens this interesting passage by examining that he rejoices for two reasons. In verse 19 he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The first thing that he seeks to be able to rejoice in is their prayers. This church, this beloved church, this, this story which he goes back all to that way and uh, where he, he started that church where he met these women having the Bible study on the side of the river. Here this church has been financially supporting him, but also supporting him with their prayers. What a good reminder that is to us. Not merely as we send out financial support to those carrying out mission work, but also are we a praying church that prays for these people. But also notice something very interesting here that we spend more time on as we think about, but here he says that he rejoiced that through their prayers, the outcome of Paul's deliverance, which we'll speak of this later, but he says that through their prayers that he knows that he will be delivered. Now we know that if we're asked, do we believe that our prayers make a difference? Prayer is a means of grace that God uses to be able to accomplish his means and his purposes. Just as like for the, the preached word brings forth fruit, so does prayer. And Paul here is in prison. The Philippians are praying and Paul says that through your prayers that I will be delivered. Now we can do a lot of things with our phone and devices. I can press a button and two days later a package can come. I can call a store and have them make me a pizza that when I get there, I pick it up. However, the phone has its limitations. We can communicate with people across the globe. But there's no way that I can press an app and save someone, deliver them. There's no app that can cause our prayers to ascend to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ, our mediator, and we have a presence to be able to be heard by the one true living God. We say that prayer works, but how much do we work on prayer? Do we actually pray? 
The second aspect that Paul rejoices over is that Paul has the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That Paul, even though he is bound in chains, he knows that the Word of God is not bound and Christ is not bound. He knows the theology, the promise of the good news of the gospel as he goes out to be able to proclaim the good news of the gospel to all the ends of the earth. He remembers Christ's words and he says that I am with you to the end of the age. And Paul knows the end of the age has not come. And Paul is in a prison cell. He knows the Lord is with him. And the Lord is going to help him in this trouble. The Lord will be with him. But he also will be his strength. That here we see two things. The prayers of the people can ascend to the throne room of God. And the throne room of God comes and helps his people. Both in unison, this is what Paul knows and rejoices in. For what? What purpose? What ends? He says for his deliverance. Now what we might think of is that Paul has spoken to his attorney. He has just received good news that this trial is almost over. That he's going to get out of prison one day soon. Now Paul does hope to be able to see them soon. At the end of this passage we saw... He hopes to be able to come to them soon. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, he says, I hope, therefore, to send him Timothy just as soon as I see how it goes with me. And I trust the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. He's hopeful, but is this what he speaks of when he says deliverance? But I do not believe this is the deliverance Paul is speaking of. Commonly, this word is used to speak of salvation. Which also makes sense in this context of this passage, for the next verse explains what Paul means. Paul says in verse 20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in light, by life or by death. Here he rejoices that Christ will be preached in the previous passage. However that might be, either through persecution or him proclaiming the good news or others proclaiming the good news as well, with boldness and confidence. But here he rejoices that Christ will be honored. That Christ will be honored through his life or death. That whether he is proclaiming the words with his mouth, Christ is glorified. Whether he's proclaiming the words with his body or with his death, Christ will be honored. So how is Christ honored if Paul lives or dies? He again continues to explain this in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So what does it mean to live to Christ? Paul writes to the church in Galatian, Galatia that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Paul here speaks that he is dying to himself daily and Christ is living in him. That the old Paul is gone, the new Paul is here, the one found in Christ Jesus, to live by faith in the Son of God. Where he writes in Romans chapter 14, For none of us lives to himself, 
None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. This is the foundation of the Heidelberg Catechism. It begins, what is our comfort in life or death? That I, with my body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied all of my sins, has redeemed me from the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. He he rejoices whether these two outcomes are before him. He rejoices that he either honors Christ in his body or in his death. That as he lives to Christ, he is Christ's servant proclaiming the gospel. See this clearly in two passages in verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor to me. Or in verse 24 and 26. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Here Paul rejoices that he has this option to be able to live if this is God's will. That he might be able to serve him and his church And we have been left on this earth. The God did not, when we all, at the moment when we believed, became Christians, regenerated, that were then immediately zapped into heaven to be with him. But he leaves us on this earth for his purposes. Again, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 explains that we don't lose heart. That our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that we have seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient. But the things that are un- the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That here, each day we're renewed day by day. As our outer outer self wastes away, our inner self has been renewed. It is preparing us for that eternal weight of glory. That we are being prepared, or as Paul wrote in Philippians chapter one verse six. That he who began a good work in you will bring it at completion of the day of Christ. That he is still working on us. That if we still have breath in our lungs in this life, we are called to be able to live for Christ. First Peter chapter 1, Peter writes that if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. 
And here Peter is referring not to some form of exile that we find ourselves in, but in this life, in this world in which we are exiled in this world. Our citizenship does not belong here, but belongs in heaven. And he says that we are conduct ourselves with fear throughout our time on exile, that we are still here waiting for that time to come. Whereas the psalmist writes, Moses writes in Psalm 90, to teach us to number, us our, day, number our days that we may get a heart for wisdom. Now think about it. Paul is here stuck at home under house arrest, unable to do what he wants to, unable to carry out what he at once could. He, was still, he still seeks to be able to serve God wherever he finds himself to be. He's hoping and praying that he will be able to stay, that he might be able to be a help to other churches to serve Christ's church here on earth. But let's pause and think about this. Death is always around the corner. Death is closest, close to a, a young man's back to an old man's face. We are not guaranteed with tomorrow. However, we are called to be able to serve God today with what we have been given in the place and life that we have to be able to glorify God in whatever stage of life we are in. The man with five talents is not called to the standard to live the life of the man who is given ten. That we are called to be able to be faithful with what God has given us in our time and our abilities. John Flavel says, the soul of a man like the bird in a shell is still growing or ripening in sin or grace till at last the shell breaks by death and the soul flies away and its place is prepared for and where it must abide forever. We live in this life growing until the shell breaks, seeking to be able to ripen the fruit which is upon our trees. And if we think and compare ourselves to what we once used to be or what we want to hope to be, then often we're comparing ourselves to others, not in the sense of others around us, but others in different stages of life. An older self, a younger self. But yet we are called to be faithful where God has placed us. But also notice how Paul thinks not of himself, but he thinks of others. If he lives, he does not plan to focus on time for himself, but he plans to encourage this church. Just as the last time he was grateful for the advancement of the gospel, even if he was not preaching. And Paul seeks to be able to seek and to serve God. But in all of this, the interesting point is not whether Paul seeks to be able to serve God whether he's living. But Paul says that between these two choices in verse 22 and verse 23, which yet which I shall not choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. Someone asks you the question, do you want a salad or a steak? There's really only one right answer. Do you want to receive money or give money? Really, one only, there are not two equal options. The answer is easy, and between the choice of life and death, the answer is easy, right? But Paul does not think like we often think. Do you want to live or to die? And Paul says, I cannot make up my mind. 
The Prince Hamlet, he has it backwards. He looks at the negatives of both the uncertainty of death or the, uh, the struggles in life. He doesn't understand any positives, yet Paul thinks about it differently. Prince Hamlet does not have any hope. He hopes to dream, but he is not sure. But not to Paul. His desire is actually to go and be with the Lord. For that is far better, he says in verse 23. He writes as he opens the letter to Titus. He explains in Titus 1 verse 2, In hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began. He knows that after this life it's not that there's travelers who have never returned. He knows of the hope of the resurrection that Christ once went to this land, defeated Satan, and returned victorious. That to Hamlet there is no hope in death, hope in eternal life, but to Paul there is hope in death. There's hope in eternal life. Even Paul at the end of his life as he writes to Timothy, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That here he understands that after death there is more. There is hope. Actually, it is greater. That in this life he he seeks of fighting the good fight, running that race. Things of endurance and pain and suffering, momentum going forward. But yet, after he dies, there is a crown to be awarded to him, a prize to be given to him. Or as he puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we are a good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Isn't that an interesting phrase to be able to think about? To be home with the Lord. Peter says we're exiles. We don't have a home. We're wandering from place to place. Paul in 2 Corinthians said we live in a tent. Our bodies are like a tent, a temporary tent, a tarp in which we dwell in. And yet how often we seek to be able to uh, lift up this tent and, and love this tent. Make this tent our home. But Paul says in chapter 5, no, we are in a tent. This is not our home. Our home is with the Lord. That is where our home lies. Death is scary. None of us have ever walked through it. Richard Baxter says, Oh, if we did but truly believe the promise of this glory is the word of God. And that God does truly mean as he speaks and is fully resolved to make it good. If we did truly believe that there is indeed such blessedness prepared for believers as the scriptures mentions. Surely we should be impatient of living as we now fearfully as we are now fearfully of dying. And should think every day a year till our last day should come. If a man that is desperately sick today did believe that he should arise sound the next morning, or a, day, a man today be in uh, despicable poverty, 
had assurance that he should tomorrow arise a prince, would they be afraid to go to bed? Or rather think that it is the longest day of their lives? Till that desire night and morning came. Do we live as impatient of living as we are fearful of dying? Do we find comfort in death? As we confess every week that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. That we confess, that we know the truths that Paul confessed. Unlike Hamlet who says that no traveler has returned, we know that Christ has returned, that he has gone into the tomb and defeated death. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last enemy to destroy was death. That as he began in that chapter that he delivers to us of first importance that what he received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised to death on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the foundation of the gospel and Paul says that his assurance is that we are to be resurrected like Christ has been resurrected, that Christ has defeated death. This is why it's so important to sing good theological hymns, because many good theological hymns don't merely just speak about the life in which we live, but the death in which we are to die, the hope that we have in our death. Abide with me. How thou, thou cross before my closing eye, and shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life and death, O Lord, abide with me, or how firm a foundation. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrows shall not overflow. I will be near thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify thee thy deepest distress, or it is well with my soul. A song written, a hymn written about death surrounding them. And he writes, O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. A believer has hope not merely just in life that we live, but the death that we die. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. When the perishable puts on imperishable, then the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass that saying that is written, Death swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, Paul writes this, and he says, Be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Here, the two, hand in hand, we work today, knowing that we might die tomorrow. We work today being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it is not in vain. But we also have hope in our death. Do we share the victory that Christ had on the third day when he ascended and rose from the grave? To be or not to be is not the question. To be in Christ or not to be in Christ, that is the question. 
One finds comfort in death and life. The other only leaves confusion in life or death. We're called to live for Christ today. To hope in Christ for tomorrow. And to die with Christ that we might live with Christ forever. Or as Paul puts it quite simply. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Let us live every moment that we have on this earth with the same mindset. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for the comfort that we find in life and in death. That we are not our own, but we have been bought with our both body and soul by our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Help us to be able to rest on this glorious truth. Help us to be able to live today and hope in tomorrow. Help us to live impatiently in this world as we wait until we enter into that everlasting rest that is given to the saints. Help us to be able to labor, knowing that our labors are not in toil. But help us to be able to know that we too, as Christ conquered sin, Satan, and death, that that hope awaits for us, for all believers who put their faith and trust in Christ. We pray that we would encourage one another, that we would see this truth as the day draws near. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.